Hey y'all, welcome to Beyond Just Christian Podcast. My name is Brenda Covelins and welcome, welcome. Happy Black Friday, y'all. That's right, it's Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. You best believe I ate like a champ. Okay, just kidding. Normally I eat like a champ. Yesterday, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's because I'm getting close to 30, but I could not down or drown as much food as I normally do. And I'm like, what the heck? I only ate a plate and a half. Not two, not three, a plate and a half, y'all. I am weak. But then again, I did eat some dessert afterwards, so I guess we can count it as a win. I don't know. But yeah, Thanksgiving was awesome, and here we are, Black Friday, recording this podcast. So, you best believe, I don't know why I'm saying that a lot lately. I think I've been hearing too many people talk, and now I'm starting to say what they say. Does anyone else feel that happens to them? Like, when your friend says something, you say a lot more, too? Yeah. Um, anywho... Moving on, so November 3rd or 2nd, one of those two days, I released my episode Bad Batch of Biblical Brothers, and I promised you guys that we're going to do Bad Batch of Biblical Wives. So that's what we're doing today, is we're going to be talking about Bad Batch of Biblical Wives. So we talked about husbands first, then we talked about brothers, now we're going to talk about wives and possibly next sisters. So that is the agenda for today. Because I figure what better day than to record a podcast when everyone else is scurrying about shopping and I can relax at home and do this. So it seemed like a perfect opportunity. So before we start the episode, I just want to say a huge thank you again for those who've listened to my episodes beforehand because y'all the reason this episodes exist. You guys like this a lot. And I don't know, it's just very fun. And I'm not trying to villainize certain people of the Bible, but let's be honest, there were definitely villains and antagonists. Antagonists? Yeah, antagonists of the Bible, so, and I just feel like it's very good to talk about so we learn what not to do and what not to be in a husband, a wife, and so forth. So, yes, if you guys are interested in listening, keep on listening, and let's get on to the episode. So before we begin, I do want to include more verses about wives and women in this episode, not just from the passages I'm going to be reading from, because that is a main focus, of course, but I also want to mention what other parts of the Bible say about women and wives in general. So the first verse that we're going to be reading from is from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. So I wrote down, woman can either make or break a man. So verse 4 says, a wife, or sorry, a worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. So that's like a huge theme of this is, do you want to be the cancer to your man or do you want to be the healing source of to your man? And granted, God is the ultimate source of love and healing and all that jazz, but honestly, having a worthy wife is one of the most important things in life. I'm not saying you have to get married, but if you do, you got to make sure she's worthy, okay? Just saying, because she's either going to make or break you. So... With that being said, the first bad batch of biblical wives we're going to be talking about is Potiphar's wife. So we're going to be going to our Bibles. Yes, get your Bibles out. You have to have your Bibles open. Now, I don't care what version you have, whatever version is more comfortable for you, whether it's NLT, NIV, NKJV, so forth, whatever it is, that's fine. So again, we're going to be going to Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 23. So open your Bibles. If you haven't done so yet, I'll let you guys get open to that. Or you can use a Bible app, whatever is easier. Um, it depends on how you're listening. If you're driving, obviously go back when you're not driving. But if you're sitting down and you have a time to look, definitely do. All right, so chapter 39 of Genesis. There we go. 
All right, it goes to say, Joseph in Potiphar's house. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard of to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he was entered and served in the home like his... Oh, I can't read today. <laughs> Hold on. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. I don't know why that's such a ton full of me. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success with everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, as so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. So, so far, we said Potiphar is an Egyptian officer, and he's, you know, under the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and he has Joseph become his servant because he notices, he notices that Joseph is very involved and serves well with everything he does. So, he put Joseph in charge of his entire household and everything he owns. So, clearly, the man had some faith and trust in him. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owns. While Joseph was there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she said. Actually, in the Bible, says she demanded. So, uh, this wife, a Potiphar, is telling her husband's servant, Hey, I want to sleep with you. I demand you sleep with me. Have sex with me. So, that's already a really big red flag. You know, hey lady, um, you're married? You might want to not look at him lustfully right now, because, um, that's kind of a, I don't know, adultery? Just saying. But anyway, moving on. It goes on to say, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his household. That includes the wife. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So, pause real quick. So Joseph is not only just saying, hey, you have a husband who left me in charge of everything in the household, including you. But you're the only thing I can't have. And not only would be going against my boss, Potiphar, who clearly adores me and respects me and trusts me, but it would be going against God. That's not what God would allow. That's not what God's for. And Joseph knows that. And he's telling her this very openly. This is why I can't. This is why I won't. But, of course, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. So this girl, woman, whatever, she is trying way too hard to sleep with this guy instead of taking no for an answer and respecting her husband and herself and joseph she just keeps demanding day after day after day and of course with this joseph kept out of her way as much as possible he tried avoiding her as much as possible but one day however when no one was around he went to do his work so she came and she grabbed him by his cloak demanding come on sleep with me Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So this guy is literally, you know the verse uh, that says flee from sexual immorality? He is fleeing for his life. He ran. He's like, I'm done with this because I can't remove myself from the situation by like every other day. I'm just going to run away from her right now. Like whatever, what other thing do you have to do to get away from this crazy woman, you know? So when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, 
She called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. So this girl, mm, she doesn't want to be honest about her demands of making him try to sleep with her. She's like, oh no, playing the victim here. She's like, well, no, he, you know, tried raping me and, you know, he ran away because he knew he was wrong and when I screamed, he ran. You know, I was like, girl, take some responsibility. Jesus, no accountability whatsoever. First of all, you a liar, you're a manipulator, and you're very forceful upon a man. So we don't like that. Um, it goes on to say, she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story, not the true story, but her story. The Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. And of course, Potiphar believed his wife. So Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So Joseph goes from this administrative position to serving Potiphar to jail, all because the wife did not want to take accountability, was lustful after him, and she lied to her husband and everyone else. Um, but keep in mind, verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Uh, so he made Joseph a favorite among the prison guard. Uh, but before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. So he went from being administrative to Potiphar to being in charge of everyone else in that jail with him, which is kind of cool. It's, And you're thinking, well, that's unfortunate. Of course it's unfortunate, but God made the best of the situation for Joseph. And he earned the guard's trust who was guarding the prison. So that's kind of cool. And then verse 23 says, the warden had no more wor worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So we're going to go backtrack to uh, Potiphar's wife. All right. So one, she wanted another man lustfully. I mean, yeah, Joseph looks handsome. We get that. It doesn't mean you have to lust after someone else. She also told Joseph to sleep with her, demanding so. And of course, Joseph refused because he was trusted with all in the household no one else had the authority like he did. Potiphar withheld nothing from Joseph, minus his own wife, of course. And he didn't want to sin against Potiphar or, nor God. So, honestly, a thing that we could look at with a wife, you know, she was lustful. She was also very desperate. Um, she, uh, girl, you got a really good man who is under King Pharaoh, who got all these lavish and riches and perks and you want to sleep with a guy who you know your husband hired like no we don't do that and she also lied so she's a liar she's forceful and she's desperate and lustful so ladies these are the things you do not want to be <laughs> all right so quick story time so growing up um I was very good in high school I didn't sleep around and my mom and I were talking about how you know a lot of girls were kind of like easing their way into relationships and then kind of just kind of like sleeping around and my mom's like yeah they're part of the horny lonely and needy club girls ladies woman everyone do not be horny lonely or needy it's not attractive definitely do not be any of those three things do not be the part of the hnl club 
horny, needy, lonely. Don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, so the first wife we see is just a very, very big villain. Like, and you just kind of wonder, before Joseph came along, did she cheat on her husband with anyone else? Because I'm sure she demanded that Joseph sleep with her. She's not unaccustomed to demand in her own way. And it's a shame because her husband's a really good man. He even treats Joseph with respect. He doesn't have to, but he does. Like, you got a good husband. Do not waste a good husband. Do not go against a good husband. So, that's the first bad batch of biblical wives. Alright, moving on to number two, we got Job's wife. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 2, and we'll read from there to about, maybe verse 9 or 10. Alright, y'all. So, if you guys don't know the story of Job, here's how it starts. So there's a man, he's very rich, he's very wealthy, he got everything he could ever need, his family is beautiful, but Satan is like, hey God, I bet I can make this man curse you to your face. I bet I could turn his heart away from you. And God says, well, you can try, but this man's a very godly, honorable man. I know he would still love me. So Satan says, hey, I want to do this and this to him because you make him prosper in everything he does. So look how rich he is. And God says, all right, you may test him, but, and you can do whatever you want to him and to what he possesses, but you don't harm him physically. So Satan's like, bet, let's do this. So in chapter one, I do want to point this out. It says, Sabians, I think that's how you pronounce the word, rated, uh, the whole entire fields and livestock of Job. So they stole all the animals and they killed all the farmlands. And then there's also a fire that God had has fallen from heaven and he burned up all the sheep and the shepherds. And then the third messenger arrives to tell the news like, hey, three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed all your servants. And then there's another messenger who shares that, hey, there was a powerful wind that swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, the house collapsed, and all your children are dead, just so you know. So that's how first uh, chapter one goes. So already it, lo it looks very depressing. Let me tell you that. It is very depressing. And then chapter two is where we're going to be reading from. So chapter two is Job's second test. It goes on to say, One day the members of the heavenly core came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? God asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, saying, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, though you have urged me to harm him without cause. Satan, rep Satan replied to God, Skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and surely he will curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with a terrible boil, or struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. So this man has boils literally from head to feet, and the man's itchy. All right, because he was scraping his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. So... He lost a lot. He lost his land. He lost his cattle. He lost his family. And now he got boils from head to foot. So, of course, this main part that I'm going to read next isn't 
uh, is about his wife, and she's not very encouraging whatsoever. She's had enough. She's right there with Job, except she's more bitter and not so much, I don't know, she's just bitter. So it says in verse 9 to 10, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So, his wife, I can understand. She's had enough. She lost her children. She lost her house. She lost everything that the family has produced over the years. She lost her security. And that's the thing, though. You could tell her security and her trust is not in God, but it's in all the things that she owns. It was in all the things that she had. Uh, that her and her husband produced well together. And now that her security blanket is pulled out from underneath her, she's angry. She's very, very angry. Um, and it makes me have some, like, sympathy for her. But then at the same time, she's doing exactly what Satan wants Job to do. She wants to curse God. And she is cursing God. She's telling her own husband to curse God. But not only that, she's telling her husband to die. So, I'm just thinking to myself, girl, I mean, listen, you don't even have boils on you. It's just your husband from the sound of it. Like, you're fine. You're in one piece. And here you are telling your husband who is covered from head to foot in boils after he lost everything right with you to die. I'm sorry. That's, that's when you know that this wife is just not the nicest. And, you know, she's telling Curse God and die. She's also like, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? First of all, integrity is not something you own. Integrity is something you possess. It is yourself. It's what you carry. It's how you present yourself. It's what you say and do. That's integrity. Um, and granted, we can go into the whole definition of integrity, but you get my gist. So when she says this, it's basically her saying, yo, why are you trying to stay composed? You've got nothing left, and that's how it is. Like, you're not any more of a man than you were before. And instead of building him up or looking to God for help, she's just like, well, you have nothing else to live for. You might as well die. <laughs> like, curse God and die. Because, you know, I bet if you curse God, he's going to want to kill you because you're dishonoring him. So she's basically saying, you got nothing left to live for. She's not even thinking about herself with him. Like, she's like, well, he has nothing now, so I don't want him. That's what it sounds like to me, and I really hate that. And then also, I do want to point out throughout the book, um, there are friends of Job who help him and process with him. Like, they sit in silence for seven days and night. Uh, they tell their friend to still trust and love God. And they basically tell him, like, yo, buddy, get out of that victim mindset, you know, because it's not going to help you. Um, his friends were, I might butcher their name, so bear with me, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Ilu, Ilu. It's E-I-L-H-U. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But basically, you know, Job replies to each of his friends with his thoughts throughout the book of Job. And we see that his friends do not give up on him. They don't tell him, yo, curse God and give up. You know, they tell him, like, get up, man. Like, stop being sorry for yourself. You know, this is awful. But at the same time, what is God trying to teach you here? What's actually happening right now around you that you don't see that is possibly there? And they're just very supportive. They are not at all like his wife, who is a, mm, she's awful, okay? And I get it. She just lost everything, too. But you could tell her heart is not in the right place. Her heart is not even towards 
or for Job. It's for herself because she's like, well, you got nothing left. You're not a man anymore. So like, you should just die. Like, do you want to be a widow? And it's just weird because throughout the book of Job, I don't even know what happens to his wife. <laughs> like, I don't know where she goes. I don't know if she dies. I don't know if she leaves him. I don't know if she stays. I honestly don't remember. Let me, okay, let's see. Let's go in the back of the book. It's weird though, because like, again, the book of Job does end with a very good note. Like, Job ends up uh, prosperous twice as much as before. And his former brothers, sisters, and friends came and feast with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials God had brought against him. And each of them brought something to bless Job with. And he was more blessed in the second half of his life than in the beginning. So we see that he has a really good future. And... He does have more daughters, so I assume his wife and him did work, or he just remarried, because it honestly doesn't tell you. That's one of the things about Job that honestly annoys me. I don't know what happens to the wife, because we go from, like, just disliking her so immensely in the beginning because she's just so rude, you know? So, honestly, if they got some uh, couples therapy from his friends and they surpass all these trials, kudos to them. I'm not saying this wife isn't a good person. Maybe she had a moment where she had her own test in two. We don't know. Again, this story is about Job. It's not about her. So hopefully all things worked out. I mean, you know, that's a long, long ago. But friends, the point of this one is to bless your husband, be a blessing to him, be a supportive role to him, and do not tell him to die or just tell him to curse God. We do not want our husbands to curse God. We want our husbands to be steadfast in prayer and bold and honest and vulnerable before God. We don't want them to stray away from God. So yeah, that's Job's wife for you. Don't know what happened to her, but hopefully something good. All right, moving on into the next wife, we got Samson's wife. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 14. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 20. All right, y'all, again, Judges chapter 14. All right, everyone ready? All right, let's read. It says, Samson's riddle. One day when Samson was in Timnah, Timnah, I want to say Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in, Tim, in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there an, another woman in our tribe or among the Israelites you can marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. His father and mother didn't realize that God was at work with this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. As Samson and his parents were going to Tim or Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson from the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. Ooh, you got some strength, man. <laughs> um, he did this as easily as if it was a young goat. But he didn't tell his mom or dad what happened about it. When Samson arrived in Tim Timnah, I don't know why I keep stuttering with that word, Timnah, 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 <laughs> he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Ooh, so he got his flirtation game on. Okay. Later, when he returned to Timnah <laughs> for the wedding, ooh, a wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. Okay, so this man is already getting married to this woman. Dang, that was fast. Uh, 
So he found the carcass of a lion, and a swarm of bees has made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate along the way. He also gave some to his mom and dad, and they ate from it too. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of a lion. So weird things are happening. Weird things. As his dad was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party, uh, as was the custom for Israel, or from, I can't talk, as was the custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. So this guy had 30 groomsmen. Hot damn, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, it says in verse 12, Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you cannot solve it, then you must give me 30 linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, one of those who eats came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. We, go we love a good rhyme, by the way. We appreciate it. So three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Hey, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my parents, he replied. Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson replied, if you haven't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their cloven to the men who had actually solved the riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his mom and dad. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Oh, that's a lot of information if you ask me. All right, so to sum it up, Samson gives the men a riddle. Promises, hey, whoever gets the riddle correct will get this, this, and that. And three days later, the men told Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we'll burn down your father's house with you in it. So they're threatening Samson's wife, okay? So instead of telling her husband, hey, I'm being threatened, and by the way, you are very strong and powerful, and you could easily kick these guys' butts, Instead, I'm going to do what they say and be manipulative to you and try to get you to tell me and come to you nagging and quarrelsome, like a quarrelsome wife. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Can I just say also, like, that Samson's wife is definitely a quarrelsome wife. Alright, so I have some verses from Proverbs, which, again, Proverbs has the best book of wisdom and common sense and knowledge that you could think of. Um, because this is so true. So, Proverbs chapter 19, verses 13 and 14 say, A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping. So, like, picture this. You're in your house, you're in silence, you're trying to read a book, and you just hear that drip of the faucet. The faucet just keeps going drip, drip, drip. 
it's like a pin hitting the floor. You just, you're like, is this going to stop? Can I fix this? No. But in verse 14, it points out the difference between a querulous woman versus an understanding woman. It says, only the Lord can give an understanding wife. So let me tell you something right now. This wife of Samson's does not understand nothing because she is nagging him. She's quarrelsome. She's annoying. She's just constantly bothering him. And also, I got two more verses for you. And then I'll go on to say the rest of my thoughts. So in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9, it says, It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Which, it appears they are in a lovely home, but this wife of Samson's is just very, very annoying. She's very naggy. And then verse 19 of chapter 21 says, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. So, wives, if you complain and you nag your husband, just stop. It's different than, than you know, recommending something or suggesting, you know. But she's like, you need to tell me. You don't love me. Tell me now. Why can't you tell me? Why don't you trust me? She's just so whiny. Oh my gosh. And she cried whenever she was with him. This poor guy. He's just trying to go about his day. And she's like, tell me now. I want to know. You don't love me. You don't love me. What the heck? I'm like, girl, why don't you just tell your husband you're being threatened by these men and he will fight for you? Have you thought about that? Like, hello, have you met your husband? Apparently you haven't had much time with him because you are taking more seriously the threats of the people than your love for your husband. Like, he chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. The least you could do is choose him in this situation right now. But no. And I get it. If you're being threatened, you're scared, you're nervous. I'd be freaked out too. I'm like, okay. But this is when you gotta tell your husband, hey, these men told me not to tell you this, but, like, can you please help me right now? Because, you know, they're not only threatening her, but they're threatening her father. Like, burning down his whole household with her in it. And it just, it, it, what bothers me is, like, she's, like, you don't love me. First of all, this guy chose you, like I just said. He wanted you. His parents said, why can't you pick another girl? And he's like, no, I want her. So you were really, really precisely chosen. And yet you're nagging your husband, who loves you. And he even tells her, like, hey... I didn't even tell my parents the answer. So if the man hasn't told his own flesh and blood, the people who gave birth to him, why would he tell you? Because if he told his parents and not you, okay, I get it. But he didn't even tell his parents. Like that riddle is all for everyone else to figure out. But you just are thinking about your own self versus harming your husband and allowing him to also be manipulated too. Like it just, mm. She was just tormenting him day and night with her nagging, like, no. Like, imagine this. You get home from a long day work, and your wife's like, you don't love me. You don't love me. You haven't told me. What's the riddle? What's the riddle? <laughs> Girl, just shut up. <laughs> Anywho, moving on. So, it goes on to say again, like, she ends up finding the answer because he tells her, because he got so annoyed. And, you know, the men on the seventh day, come to Samson with the answer, but Samson knows, hey, you cheated. If you haven't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Meaning, if you wouldn't have messed with my wife and tell, told her to keep telling, or to, well, you know what I'm trying to say. If you hadn't told my wife to get the answer out of me, she wouldn't have known, you wouldn't have known, and you wouldn't have cheated. You literally just cheated to get the answer. 
So that's why, you know, he killed the 30 men, took their belongings, and he gave the clothing to the men who had actually solved the riddle. The men who did not threaten the wife or do anything negative to find out the answer, they were rewarded. And I admire that. But of course, Samson was furious with what had happened. So obviously, like, hey, you lied to me. You messed with me. You cheated. I'm not going to be in a marriage with you anymore. I mean, again, it doesn't say anything about divorce, but he left his home to live with his parents again. And his wife was given into a different marriage with a different man, which anyone else like have some like, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also not kind of funny how she's married to, uh, she's given to a marriage with another man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Isn't that just weird? I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, so this wife is a Philistine woman, you know, she's among the pagan people, but yet Samson chooses her. Men told Samson's wife to reveal them the answer. They threatened to burn her dad's home with her in it. And Samson's wife told her husband, you don't love me. But then also, if you guys read chapter 15, verse 6, she ended up being burned to death. So let's go there. So basically, what had happened was Samson uh, took a young ghost present to his wife. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room to sleep with her, but her father wouldn't let him. So, uh, the father said, I thought you really hated her, so I gave him, oh, okay. So I gave her into marriage with another man who was your best man. But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. And Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I am going to do to you Philistines. So he gets his revenge by catching 300 foxes and tying their tails together in pairs and he lit a torch to each of their tails and let the foxes run through the fields of grain from the Philistines and burned all their grains to the ground. He destroyed all their vineyards and their olive pro, uh, groves. So. And the Philistines were mad at this. And go figure, in verse 6, it says, The Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. And then Samson's like, well, I won't take breath until I get my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines and killed many of them. And the rest, like, hid from him. So, like, it, it's a lot more drama as the story unfolds. But this wife ends up dying anyway. And I'm just like, okay. So, I don't want to say she got payback because I wouldn't wish death upon someone, you know, like that. But it it's just a tragic story throughout the rest of it. And Samson does not have his luck with women, okay? Like, I'm pretty sure he gets married again. He doesn't have good luck with that. So, anyway... But, wives, your lesson here, tell your husbands what the heck is actually going on. Come to your husbands about problems you're going through, especially if you're threatened, okay? Like, if I got threatened, I'm sure as heck tell my fiancé about it. There is no way I'm not telling him anything about that. And maybe she, like, well, maybe she had some fear for his life because, you know, she, well, actually, no, it was all fear for her and her dad. She had no fear for Samson or else she would have respected him respected him and told him and all this stuff could have been prevented possibly but anyway so yeah always tell your husband what's going on especially if you're being threatened do not be a nagging quarrelsome wife do not manipulate to try to get an answer out of him and do not nag him give the man some peace okay all right so with that being said that is samson's wife and i'm so glad i'm not her <laughs> 
All right, y'all, with that being said, I wanna end on a positive note, not so much about all these negative lives, but I'm gonna read a verse or two from Proverbs. So this one is from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. It says, who can find a virtuous and a capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Again, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. So that's one verse. And then the last verse is from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And I love that. So we want to be an honorable wife, a capable wife, a virtuous wife. We don't want to be a quarrelsome wife. That's not who we are. No. And especially preparing for marriage, these are a lot of good tips and advice for me what not to do, what I should do. And know the difference between a very healthy, helpful wife versus a not so healthy and helpful wife, that's for sure. But uh, I hope you guys learned something from this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening and tuning in because it means the world to me. I'm so excited. And hopefully next time when I do the episode, I will do a bad batch of biblical sisters. So that one is going to be a little bit more interesting because there are sisters in the Bible. And there's like one in particular I could think of right now who had not a, a... she just had a moment. But this one's going to be a little bit more challenging for me to think of people. So that's for sure. But in the future, I also want to do like a little bit of a spin on this. Like instead of like doing Bad Batch or a Good Batch, I do want to talk more about certain people of the Bible, um, like selectively through different books. Like let's say if I'm doing Woman of Judges or Woman of Genesis, like just random ones like that. But again, if you guys enjoyed, stay tuned for more episodes. And again, have a blessed weekend. And I hope you guys tune in next time. Bye, y'all.